Hello, everybody. This is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me. And you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And as you guys know, we have our good friends uh, sponsoring this program from FHE Health. And FHE Health is a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders uh, who are suffering from PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. And today... I have with us Melissa Hinton, and Melissa is a very interesting lady, and she's doing some phenomenal work here in Loudoun County, which is up in Northern Virginia, not far from where I live, and she's with the Loudoun Serenity House, and this is a nonprofit that she started, started, and she's going to talk to us about and all the great work that they're doing, and, and currently they have uh, both a men's and a women's home that... Uh, that they've opened uh, in October 2020 is when the women's home opened up. And then November of 2021, the men's home opened up. And we got connected through a mutual friend and uh, heard about the work that they are doing. And this is actually very timely that uh, we're discussing the uh, Serenity House and, and the work that she's doing because something that I have observed over time is the lack that there's a real lack of continuing care coming out of not just detox but uh long-term inpatient treatment 28 day 60 day 90 days uh, or even longer sometimes people go into treatment longer than that but you know it doesn't end there uh, it recovery early recovery intensive recovery needs to continue beyond that initial treatment and one of the things that I have seen and, and something I'm becoming more and more passionate about is finding ways that people can work on the recovery recovery in a more in-depth way beyond treatment. And that's what Melissa's working on right now. And she's going to tell us about how she got into this work, why she's doing this work, and uh, everything that's doing that they are doing over there. So, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike. I, I love your program. Thank you for having me. So I found recovery um, from alcohol uh, use disorder very young. I was very fortunate to um, find sobriety when I was 20 um, after some treatment centers. And obviously, I came from a family where we had a long history on both sides of my family. So it helped me to get started young. And um, my drinking history was short and intense and was enough. And after a couple of years of trying to figure out how I can stop, I grabbed onto the tools and the support that people showed me in the community, self-help. Um, part of my story was sober living. So fast forward, I, over years of abstinence, I'm now around year 35. Um, Whoa, thank God. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's it's amazing, and it just goes to show what grabbing on to self-help and the, the recovery community, that it works, and I saw it with my own dad, and I was able, luckily, to find my way as well, and so over the years, I've, I've noticed, at least in my community, I grew up in Maryland, moved over to Virginia, I work in the technology industry, and Northern Virginia is a real booming area with technology and 
working with women, I just didn't see that there were a lot of resources available and it's a very affluent area and I just couldn't get my head around it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, we can't really point to any one person and say, hey, fix this. I think we all have a part in it. And I said, let me get some friends together and start a nonprofit and see if we can get some sober living set up in the area because that's kind of a quick thing that you can stand up with a group of people and we wanted to do it as a nonprofit. So I founded loudandserenity.org and I had a umbrella nonprofit sponsor our organization until we were able to get our paperwork and everything um, filed so that we can be our own nonprofit. And what happened is I, I had been through a struggle for many several years with my sister who was my best friend and she died in 2019 of alcohol withdrawal she lived um with me off and on and it was it was horrible and i took that pain that i felt um during covid and really was passionate about trying to help and heal um through doing something for the the community to help other women since there just wasn't a woman's house anywhere near where I lived. And with the help of a friend and an angel investor, we were able to get a house and, and open that up during COVID. And sure enough, the house was, was filled and we continue to have a waiting list. And I was also getting a lot of calls from people wanting a men's house and inquiring about a men's house. So within a year, we, did the same thing. We opened a men's house. And the beauty of this is that we're all volunteer. We're all people in recovery. And many of us have become certified recovery specialists through the state of Virginia. And what that means is that we've taken some education courses and we have our own lived experience and we're helping people find recovery. And uh, it, it works. Um, so, I think that that's kind of our vision for where we're going in the future is creating more services that are recovery community organization driven that help people access services and support. And uh, in that includes 12-step programs and people need different things, but trying to find out the best way to help save lives and help get people connected um, with sobriety or sober houses, recovery houses, we call them. We have a, a lady that is the on-site live-in house manager, kind of a coach. And that person has one to two years of sobriety and, and works a job during the day, but helps to oversee some of the evening activities, such as breathalyzing and random drug screens and the ladies like it, the men like it, it provides accountability and helps them kind of work towards getting through that first year. So um, that that's what we started. And we have a five-year plan to expand some of the services. And we've, we've actually hired a few paid people. And uh, it's really taken off. And it's all, the success of it is based on community and other nonprofits working with us hand in hand to uh, provide a whole view of what the person needs. So, um, yeah, just very grateful. Um, we've been operating on donations 
and uh, the residents pay a weekly rent and everybody works and goes to their self-help meetings, therapy, and we've had many people successfully complete our program. They can stay up to a year, year and a half, and then they come back and they actually participate in helping the residents um, as well. So it's, it's a great model, and we've mirrored out after some other PRS recovery community services organizations that we've seen have been very successful. So we're just grateful to have to have this new resource available to anybody. Um, and like I said, we're full, so it just shows the need. But the statistics do show that people who participate in living in sober living, recovery community houses, if, if they can stay up to a year, it really bumps up the statistics of them achieving long-term sobriety, long-term meaning five or more years. Yeah, that is definitely, the, the statistics definitely show that clearly. The, yes. the longer you're involved in a program like this, the, you exponentially increase your chances of, of long-term sobriety. Yep. Yes, yes. And, and the other thing we noticed is that there isn't a lot of affordable housing in the area. And so people that are just starting their life over, sometimes they may have, have made a career change or maybe they're going to take a, a, a lower level job just to focus on the recovery. And so it also helps provide affordable living where they have love and support during that first year. And we do provide some f financial assistance too. Sometimes people don't have the money for the first or second month's rent. So we do have access to some funding and grants to help people as well and mentor them in finding jobs and financial management of their, their finances and helping them to get therapy and, and repair some of their relationships within their families. So when you looked at this, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your sister. Thank and you. Yeah. When, when you heard about this, I mean, the, the idea of having a sober home is not new. I mean, sober homes have been out there for a while, but mm -hmm. was there, was, was there a reason why you were, you gravitated towards this was, I mean, did you look at this and just think, okay, there's, there's a gap in treatment and this is something that I'm going to do to help yes. fill that gap. What, what drove you to want to do this in honor of your sister as opposed to doing something else in honor of your sister? So my sister was the second person within a two-year period that that I was very entangled with, that, that I truly loved and was walking the path of recovery with them. Um, we had another friend in common that also that also passed away um, from a, a relapse. Um, her name was Allie. And I think both my sister Rachel and Allie would have really benefited by having a sober house in, in Northern Virginia, a level two house where they would have that structure and that support because the, the first 90 days are so critical. Yeah. And you know, some people hit that bottom, so to speak, everybody's bottom is, is relative. Um, and they're, they're ready, but sometimes people are really struggling with, some triggers and just that, um, you know, the withdrawal that just sometimes it can take up to a year for the brain to heal and yeah. for, and for people to really get through that. And we have found that 
Sometimes people need um, some medication to help with the with the cravings under a doctor's care. And, you know, people need different things. It's not one size fits all. And or they might have a relapse and just need some added support to get back on track. And so it just really opened my eyes to the need. And you can have people continue to go through treatment programs, as, as my sister did. And she was fortunate to have access to some really nice programs. But when they get out, it's that first year of having to walk through life and have that have that support when maybe the person you're married to the marriage isn't so great and they they're separated and then you have somebody who's very early in recovery that is also going through a divorce which is very painful Mm -hmm. so it's it's extremely helpful to have that as a resource for for the person to have support and to have tools and to have people around to help them work through that in the first year yeah, no, you you are so correct about that. It, um, you know, drinking and drugging alters the neurobiology in in your brain, and it takes a long time. and And I think you know, people in early recovery, I think that's very underestimated by a mm-hmm. lot of people that come into early recovery. And it's so tough. Not only are you you trying to change the uh, neurology in your brain, but um, oftentimes, whatever brought us to the point to where we needed to be in treatment to begin with, and I mean, you know, whether it's a DUI, arrests, divorce, about ready to lose a job, whatever is going on in your life, that drama in your life, um, mm-hmm. you're you're usually dealing with. You're still at the height of dealing with that, and so now your body is going through all these changes, and you're struggling, and you still have that pull that that. Uh, your body wants the drugs or alcohol, and then you throw the drama in on top of that, and and it's the hardest part. That's why that first year, I, actually, I would say that first month is the mm-hmm. the really the hardest, but certainly that first year. And if you can get past about a, a year and a half, two years, uh, again, exponentially big increase, large increase in your chances of going beyond that, if you can make it to that point. But that's the hard part. And that's why I think that, you know, sober houses are so critical to that. And what I will tell you, and I kind of get your thoughts on this. So I just spent the last year interning at a uh, treatment facility and and work with a, a lot of patients. And one of the things that we have to do with patients when they leave is give them a treatment plan and, and give them our recommendations as to what we think they need for follow-on care. And, and uh, Silver House is not something that we recommend to everybody. Uh, it's kind of an individual type of thing. For But many patients, we do recommend that. And I will tell you, almost to a person, there's so much resistance to, to that. You know, patients just don't want to do sober living. But I will also tell you that, and I did not do sober living myself, but I do know a lot of people that are in the recovery community with me that have done, and they swear by it. Everybody I talked to that has done sober living has said, yep, that was the best thing I ever did. So why the resistance? And if somebody's listening to this podcast right now and they are in this category, what would you say to them about that? So I think... Sober living is, it's just a commitment. You know, let's, let's face it. We always say, you know, compare it to any other disease. If, if you have, you know, maybe a cancer or something like that. And somebody says to you, you know, if, if you do these things, you have a really, you have a really good prognosis. 
So I think there's still the stigma of living in, you know, just around the disease. There's a lot of shame and stigma. You know, I'm going to a recovery house or I'm going to a sober house. Uh, I think there's a, a stigma associated with it. And there's all different types of houses. There might be some that aren't so nice. You know, aesthetically, you walk in and, and maybe it's not appealing. And I think that sometimes that's that could be a turnoff. If your house at home is a lot nicer and, and you're walking into a place that, you know, is, is not clean, is not kind of what you expect. Uh, I've heard that from a lot of people that they've walked into places and, uh, and, and myself, when I was 18, I walked into a, a sober house and it, it wasn't very nice. Uh, I, I lived there for a couple months, but it, it can be really hard. It, it, it can be hard. And so I think sometimes there's just a lot of different reasons why people don't want to do it. But I think the other thing is that sometimes people also feel like they've missed out on so much. They just want to get back home and fix everything and get on with their life. But I think sometimes when we encourage people, just be open about it, maybe give it 30 days at a time one day at a time, just like you work on your sobriety a day at a time. Don't think about, oh, this is, you know, a year we'd like you to, to commit for a year, but, you know, let's just take what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you owe it to yourself. This is a deadly disease. And if if you can have reinforcement to help you get through those first couple months, you deserve that. Mm-hmm. So I always try to tell people that as well. And um, especially if the person has had a history of relapsing, uh, what have you got to lose? You're doing something different this time. Mm-hmm. Try something different. You, you can always leave if you don't like it. You don't see it's a value. But usually once they get in there and they give it a 30 days, they say, okay, I'll stay another 30. And that's kind of how it goes. And uh, this is your recovery but we want to help reinforce you and what you're doing. And, uh, and, and the other thing is too, I think if, if we also let them know that strength in numbers, you don't have to do this alone, especially those first 90 days. This is tough stuff that you're doing. You know, give yourself a break, you know, give yourself a little bit of time. And, and so sometimes just explaining it to them that way, but a lot of times people will eventually call us once they get on their own. If they have a, you know, a relapse, they'll, they'll call us because they came and looked at the house. They saw that it was nice. They saw people smiling, laughing, having fun. And sometimes they, they end up calling us after a relapse. Um, and that's okay. I mean, it's, it's okay. Yeah. You know, we didn't, we didn't get, to the point in our addiction where it was a problem overnight. And I think the problem is, is that people come into sobriety and they think that they're going to get sober overnight. And that's not the way that it works. Exactly. It takes exactly. time. It really does. And that first year in particular, there's just a, a lifestyle that has to be adopted. And it has to be a pretty intense lifestyle in the beginning. At least that was my experience where yep. I just had to, th- I, personally, I didn't start getting sobriety until I threw myself into recovery. And I meant, 
I mean, just going after right. it, like like it was like it was all I did. It was almost like I was a fanatic, <laughs> you know. That Go in the beginning, like you went after a drink, right? Yeah, in the beginning. <laughs> now, the the good news is for folks that get into long term recovery is that it kind of balances out. I mean, it does. Uh, yeah, you know, in the early days, I mean, just I just this is a small example, but like I I had this app on my phone, and I would, you know, it was a good thing because I was so proud of every every day that I got. It was like, oh, look at this, you know, I'm yeah, not just you know, I'm, I've been sober 36 days and not just the days, but it'd be like in seven hours and 35 <laughs> seconds. And, I and know it's amazing. You remember that? And, and yep, a lot of yep. people do that, but that's a good thing because I, it was, it, I, it was so hard and yes. I was so proud of every hour that I got, um, uh, you know, 10 years later, I'm, I'm not doing, I, I, I couldn't tell you the number of days I have now. Um, yeah. But because it, but now the, the reason being is because you move on and you get back engaged in life. And, and, and frankly, I don't obsess over alcohol like I did. I don't, yep. it's not at the forefront of my mind. It's actually really the only time I even talk about alcohol is like when I'm on this podcast or I'm at a recovery meeting. That's uh, right. I never talk, I never even think about alcohol outside yeah. of that. Uh, Thank but God. Because you, because you change, you come, you become re-engaged. Yep. In society, and I think yep. that's what a sober help house Balanced. does. Yeah, yeah, it brings yeah. you back to life. Yep. Our lives are very full, and mm-hmm. you used to wonder, "What am I going to do now that I don't drink?" Oh my gosh, what did I do before? <laughs> now I think, how the hell did I do anything while I was? That's drinking? right. That's uh, right, man. And and it's it's so important. And I uh, so one of the things that I've I've noticed uh, is as I've gotten sort of into the recovery business, if you will, if you want to look at it that I look at it as a calling, not really a business, but you know what I mean? And and where where this is like where my, really my focus is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I look out uh, along the the land uh, and interestingly, you know, before we got on this podcast, I was looking at some research and some YouTube videos of uh, addiction doctors talking about how the, one of the problems that we have is that people go to treatment and they go and they, and you, we have, you know, graduation ceremonies and treatment centers. And, and their problem with that is, is that it gives this illusion. It gives sort of the feeling that you graduate from a treatment mm-hmm. facility and you're done and you're right. done and you're not done. And that's just you're the right. beginning, but, <laughs> beginning, uh, yep. but you know, it, it seems weird, but I've, I, this has really resonated with me because I thought, yeah, you know, there's something to that. Why do we have graduation ceremonies? Why are we not pushing more people to pursue things like sober houses? And then along that line, um, I think it's a real problem that we don't have more uh, of these types of things. Is is that kind of how you're feeling too? Yeah. And what one of our big goals is to create, there, as I mentioned earlier, that there's a peer recovery specialist um type training that we're really promoting in Northern Virginia because a lot of people, uh, middle income people can't access, even if they might have insurance, they don't get approved to access services and, and those sorts of things, uh, maybe a therapist or they can't afford to pay the out of pocket. So a PRS is somebody, like I said, that has lived experience that can offer a lot of help and support and mentoring. Um, it'd be similar to a sponsor in AA, but a little bit more kind of involved. Um, I mean, some people do get that with their sponsors and in, in the 12 step programs, but, um, definitely a person that can just walk through things and kind of serve somewhat as a, as a coach mentor. And it seems to really, really help a lot. And so that's one of our strategies that 
we're working on because we could even open treatment centers and more houses. But the problem is you really have to build that uh, pool of resources of people that want to support that, whatever that resource is. Mm -hmm. And we found that out when we opened the first house is trying to hire a person to live at the house. There wasn't people in our area. We couldn't find people that had the skill set. Or that, you know, we're interested. So we're really trying to cultivate that. And we're doing it through volunteerism at the house. And we're doing it through um, providing reimbursement of funding to people that want to get their PRS and volunteer at the house. And uh, it's really seemed to work well. I mean, just since we opened, we've had a handful of people that have taken the, the coursework and are committed volunteers at our house. We do a Monday night dinner at both the houses and we encourage our volunteers to uh, maybe make a dinner and, and come have this family style dinner with our residents and they, they start to get involved and each peer recovery specialist is assigned a resident and they, they meet with that person at least once a week and work with them on their goals and you know, um, talk about what their goals are and help them through any struggles they're having. It could be court it could be job, it could be custody, just all those things that people are faced with in early recovery and whatever they need, they need, you know, they need help and support to walk through those things. And so we've actually been very successful the past um, year and getting people interested in this certification and really coming to the house and getting involved. And it really also reinforces their own recovery. They really feel... Mm -hmm you know, fired up and passionate about making a difference and, and helping people and remembering where they, they were at years ago in their own recovery. Um, I remember as a kid uh, being in a sober house and I was the only kid in the house. I was um, 18 years old and people from the community that came over and gave me a ride up to my aftercare program or, you know, took me out to meetings or, or took me to get dinner. I mean, that makes all the difference in the world, you know, makes you feel like you're loved and, you know, that you've got support and um, there's fun things to do, uh, learning to have fun and learning to, you know, engage. It's, it's very hard for people to pick up the phone and start doing those things. But if they have somebody that, you know, is there to walk the walk with them, it, it does help quite a bit. Oh my gosh. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking of so many different ideas of things that we can do. You have no idea what's going on in my little mind right now of little different things that we can do to, to help the community. And I wish there was more people like that. And uh, there is such a shortage of licensed counselors right now. Um, that's one of the Tons, things. I, yeah. One of the things I learned in my internship is that the burnout rate amongst counselors is high. Yes, really. it is. Oh my goodness, it's high. I it really I, I've always kind of known that, but uh, now that I'm working in this area, I see it. And it, I don't know that we've ever had a need for more counselors, but yet we can't get people to go into the profession because it's not paid mm -hmm. very well. Number one, mm -mm, right. there's no money in it, and and B, even when you are there, it's uh it, it's difficult because this is a di you know every single person you're dealing with is going through really. Uh, you know, one, one, one of the darkest periods of their life. So imagine if your job every day is to go work with people who are going through a, a dark period in their life, but you're, you know, you have a front row seat to it. And every, and that's every person that you deal with. It takes its yep. toll on people. And I, this idea of having um, a peer support, the way that you're talking about, like we have, we have peer support 
in our organizations. You know, I come from the federal government, the military, you know, police forces, and we have uh, peer support there. Um, yep. And these are not licensed professionals, but these are people that, that A, have an interest, maybe a background in it, and they've they've received some modicum of, of training to do what they're doing, but they're not, it's not the full-fledged licensure, like what I'm working right. towards now. And I, I mean, I see the benefit in having somebody come in and help out and help support people uh, in ways that maybe doesn't necessarily need to be at the level of having a full-fledged licensure. There's people, there's a need for people like that, like what I'm doing. But, you know, the question is, but does everybody need to have that? And I don't know that everybody does. You know, no, I think it's it's good to have a mix. We, yeah. like I said, we have some a few paid people, and and of course, as we grow and expand, and we definitely work hand in hand with the mental health professionals, psychiatry, because people need different things, and some people do need medication. Some people do have severe, um, bi- you know, bipolar or post traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. That it's hand in hand that that has to be addressed addressed in order for them to be successful in their recovery. So we we really promote and and encourage them hey are your are your medications getting low and you know really try to keep them in line with that because it's it's so important but yeah i think that uh the peer you know the fact that i i have a career in it but i love the fact that that i don't get paid to do this and and they know that that i'm you know i'm there as another person that is here to help you and sometimes that has more weight with people mm-hmm Mm-hmm. In some it's respect. not about so, money. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about the money. And and I worked in addiction for seven years after I, I found sobriety. I was going to college and working. And so I worked for um, two of the, one of the treatment centers that I went through as a kid. And I loved it. It was such a great experience. And, and you know, the internet was taken off at that time and I got into technology and I, and I wound up getting out of it. But this is a way that I can still, uh, you know, have my foot in it. Mm-hmm. And I just love it. And I think a lot of people are discovering that as well, that, hey, you might not be as passionate about your, your day-to-day job, but, um, you know, here's, here's something that I have found that I really love and enjoy. And, you know, it's just really, it's helped me heal a lot too. Um, with the loss of my sister, you look at all the pain that you go through sometimes in, in terms of losing a loved one to addiction and you take that and put it to good use that you know that's really what it is we can sit and uh, and it's understandable when people just go into their pain and don't come out of that but there there's i I just love that fact that you're using this pain to help other people and it's very honoring to your sister and i know that she'd be be proud of you no doubt about it well it's interesting because before she died i took her over and showed her this house and she had heard me you know she would hear me talk forever about my vision and what I wanted to do. And uh, so a couple of people said, are you, are you going to call it Rachel's house? And I said, no, I, but we have a nice uh, flower memorial garden for her in the back. And mm. I said, you know, so many people I know have lost loved ones. And, you know, my, my hope is that this house will be around for a long, long time. But, um, you know, I do honor her in terms of having the garden, the garden for her and, our friends, we had friends in common in recovery, so they too come over and work in the garden, and it's just a really nice thing. And there's a couple pictures of her in the house, so and and her furniture from her apartments filled in the house, so it we feel like she's there, so it's pretty cool. But 
um, yeah, it's definitely a healing experience. And so many people have been touched by um, the loss of, of a loved one, either actively, they can't reach them. They're, they're into their addiction and just the, the daily pain that they're living with mm-hmm. or having lost somebody, you know, or just wanting to give back and, and enjoy helping others. We've got like a real nice mix of people that are involved with the house, you know, on the board or on some of our committees. And, and it's great. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's now, and you opened um, just as COVID was starting to take off, correct? Yes, it was. That must have been something. Yes, it was the summer of 2020, I think June or July. And uh, a friend of mine who had lost his son had opened a house in Rockville for young men. And and I saw what he was doing. And I said, this was even before my sister passed away. Uh, My sister was in recovery. And uh, I saw what he was doing, and I said, we need this. We got to do this. And, and then after my sister died, he said, let's do this. And I, I basically looked at what he did and followed a lot of his lead. And then we also went to the Virginia Association of Recovery Residents, which is a certification board for the state of Virginia. And I looked at their standards and their benchmarks and it took a lot of the guesswork out of it too. So we, we followed that lead and we're a certified house, which means we, we are above the quality standards and we want this to be a, a really beautiful house. And it is people walk in and they say, this is nice Wow! and they feel at home there. And it's, it's a beautiful place. It's well furnished nicely. We do a lot of nutrition and, uh, cooking and education and yoga and hikes and try to help people get on track to a healthier life mentally, spiritually, physically. Now, do you, uh, it, so the daily routine, people would get up, go to, you, during, now we're talking during the week here, but uh, the, yeah. they're going to work. I would imagine that's part of it. And then what yep. do the evenings look So walk us through a day. What does it look like there? Yeah. So, they get up in the morning at seven, there's a morning meditation and they get their coffee and come downstairs and they do a reading and I, five, 10 minutes of a meditation. And then everybody goes to work. And if they haven't secured a job yet, then you're required to volunteer until you find a job. Um, we also have connections with some other nonprofits that help with jobs and resumes. And so everybody's working and then in the evenings they go to their self-help meetings or they they meet with a sponsor or they go to therapy um and then we have a mandatory house meeting on monday nights where we do a family dinner and then after the dinner we talk about logistics of the house and any issues going on and then everybody checks in and we do the same thing at the men's house as well there's a whole group of men volunteers that do the same thing and uh, they pay their rent on Monday nights. And um, we also have activities during throughout the week. We have volunteers that are coming to pick people up to take them out to meetings or take them out to, to do fun things. And after they've been at the house for 30 days, they can, you know, go home for a night. And we just work closely with them to help not so much be a, 
an authority figure, but just help coach and set goals. And we do have some accountability policies if, if drug or alcohol are introduced into the house or somebody is, is using them, they are asked to leave and that's to protect the environment, but mm -hmm. they can apply to come back. And, and we often work with people on that. So, um, yeah, we just, we want to make sure that people have some structure and some fun and, you know, feel like they're a part of something. And yeah. so we, we, that's what we try to do. Because addiction is isolation and recovery is community. And this it is, is. A, a great way to get people introduced back into that sense of community. Yes, it is. It is. And, and belonging and purpose and direction, all of that. Yes. And all of our volunteers and our residents, we, we do a lot of training at the house. We do mental health first aid training. We do the um, Narcan training, um, CPR. We And then, of course, are encouraging people after they get through a year of, of recovery to consider doing the peer recovery training as well. And we, we promote that and provide funding if they want to do that as well. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Now, do you do uh, fundraisers or, uh, you know, obviously yes. these people pay rent, but what, what kinds of things are you doing to raise money to keep this going? Yeah. So we have about, most of our expenses are covered through the residents paying their rent. And we have mostly volunteers. We have a couple paid positions with the house, but we do have some additional expenses. Uh, we, we have a lot of supplies that we buy for the house that are community use. We have, of course, a lot of insurance that we have for our organization. Um, we have, um, you know, several expenses that come up throughout the year that are not covered. We have a bit of a shortfall. So we do a couple fundraisers throughout the year to raise that money. And one of them is a run for recovery that we just did our second annual run in May. And it's very very family focused. It's a fun event. So we, we were able to raise $20,000. Um, first year was 15 and this year was 20,000, which is a great help. And we also do a brunch October 1st, which is our anniversary brunch. And that is held at uh, a very nice, um, country club and we keep the ticket price low and we encourage people in the community to come for the brunch. We do a silent auction and it's just a lot of fun, a great celebration. So those are our two big fundraisers. And then we have some private donors um, that make monthly donations to help um, with some of the operating costs. And we have a few different grant makers that have made some grants to the house that we've applied for. So that has helped. And we're looking to expand and open more houses since there's a waiting list. And along with that, hire additional staff to be able to grow and uh, partner with some of the universities, particularly George Mason, to try to cultivate people doing internships and working in the field. Yeah, um, and they have, a, and, and George Mason, speaking of them, they have an addiction uh, program as well, people uh, working yeah. towards a degree in there. So that getting students from that, and if you're listening to this and you're a student up at George Mason, this might be a good project for you to get involved in. Yes, it would be wonderful. We love working with students and people that are interested in learning more about um, sober living and working with people in recovery. Oh, man. 
Well, let's see. Now, you ha- you do have Instagram, um, an Instagram account, and that's also Loud and Serenity. Uh, Facebook, you're on, you're on Facebook. Yeah, Loud and Loud and Serenity as well, and then Loud and Serenity dot org. Um, are that's those, correct. Is that all your social media, or is there any? Yes, other that's our, out there? That that's it. Facebook and Instagram, and then loudandserenity.org. and you can learn more about our organization. Our application for residency is out there. Um, if you want to get involved in the house, we love to have people involved. Um, so many people from the community have been a part of just every little step of the way in terms of setting up the house. As soon as we acquired the house, just people came out of the woodwork. And, and that's how these houses are successful um, when the community is involved and, and uh, people want to be a part of something big. So. They do, it, particularly it's, it's early people, people that are early in recovery. Well, people in recovery in general, but, you know, if you're early recovery yourself and you're looking for a way to be of service, and I'll tell you after COVID, the addiction rates have skyrocketed. Yes. Mental health issues have skyrocketed. Yes. And this is a time for all of us to get back involved in the community after two years of being forcibly shut down. This is the time to get back and and help the people and the work is endless and many, many hands are needed. So this is the time and this might be the place for you to get involved if you're looking for something to get involved in. We would love it. Mm -hmm. We would love it. Man, that is, well, any final words? No, but thank you, Mike, for everything you're doing. And I'm so glad that you've got this podcast. I, I listen to podcasts all the time and your podcast is just amazing. Um, it's a great way to just kind of keep an eye on what's happening in the community, especially recovery and knowing what's out there. So thank you so much for interviewing me. And I'm just excited to see how we continue to grow and love love to keep connected on everything with you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on the program. This is, uh, you, you don't realize it, but you just put some bug, a bug in my brain to uh, pursue a, a few areas because I, I think that you're onto something big here with the uh, recovery house and you know the whole concept of that and I, I think that there's a lot of work that can be done and thank you for all the work that you're doing and I know your sister's proud of you I just know she is yep she's all over the house <laughs> <laughs> we all That's laugh great. about it yeah. yes it's wonderful it really is well, They're guys, healing. get out there, check out the Loud Loud and Serenity House, and uh, check them out Facebook, Instagram, and then loudandserenity.org on the on the website, and contribute if you can. If you're yes. if you're able to do so, please do that. Volunteer your time. Get out, check them out, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to getting out there and seeing you as well. So yes. thank you so much we for coming. We look forward on to having program. you, Mike. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much. Talk and, soon. And so, guys, as always, I'd like to say I don't represent any group um, out here. I, you know, I don't represent anyone other than myself. But you know, the purpose of what we're doing here is to share the information with you. And and you know, if we share with you what we've learned, uh, maybe it will help you. But it helps us as well as as we're sharing that with you. And if I've said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to take anything that you can use for yourself. Because that's what we do in recovery. We try to help others while we're helping ourselves. And uh, with that, visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. And please don't forget 
our great sponsor, FHE Health, because um, you know this episode is sponsored by them. They help make this this whole program possible. And according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. And FHE Health has a special program called Shatterproof that helps for first responders get better and cleared for duty. So check out their website at FHEHealth.com. And guys, with that... Please reach out. Let me know your thoughts on the program. If there's any topic that you'd like to cover, uh, we'd love to cover that because that's what we're here for, to help you guys out, help you find the path to recovery, and live that good life that I know that you're looking for and you can have in recovery. Take care.